0: I know he's here, he's here, he's here, here.
1: All right, if you want to come on in and grab a seat, we'll go through a few announcements, get started.
2: <laughs> mm. Nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it finally stop raining? I'm glad for that. It's been a been a kind of a nasty nasty week um, a few announcements for you not that many first of all, just a reminder to uh, sign up for the fall festival you can sign up through discord if you don't yet have discord that's the uh, the app or the platform that we 're transitioning to uh, away from realm um, you know for reasons that we 've already uh, we've already presented to you so Go ahead and sign up for that if you have not If you don't know how to do all that, talk to Jake Elliott He'll kind of help you do all that I know he went through, I think it was last week Kind of a very quick crash course Of what it of how to navigate through the Discord app And I know that For me it was kind of over my head So Because I need to sit and tinker with stuff for a while If you're like me and you need a little more help with that Talk to Jake uh, and he can kind of help you navigate that a little bit better. But when you go on there, you'll notice that Kelly posted a a way that you can sign up provided by through a link. And that link will take you to this big event type sign up page. And uh, it has the different events that will be happening at the fall festival and it uh, has like time slots that you can sign up for. So we need people to do that, all right, so that we can pull this thing off. So Please make sure that you uh, sign up for those things. Also, we'll be uh, giving a lot of candy uh, at at some of these little stations. So if you could bring some candy and just when you when you bring it over the next week or two, just stack it right over here on this table, and that would be very very helpful to uh, to to that team. Uh, today there will be a youth roundtable meeting, and we've been announcing this for. Uh, a while now, uh, but let me just let you know. So the idea is to work towards some type of youth ministry here at Haven Ridge. Now this, don't think of maybe what you've seen in youth ministry over the last several decades. Uh, Something like that, but something more, something a little bit different. We're trying to kind of change our level of intentionality. uh, So it's not just ministering to the student, but it's also trying to equip the parents as well, which is a which is a, a major necessity, especially in the culture of youth today with what the youth are facing, because it's a little bit different scenario them growing up compared to say myself growing up, uh, and we want these students to be equipped with a biblical worldview, a theological worldview to handle what they're facing. Okay, so that's a. Uh, A little snapshot of the vision of that, but tonight at 630 right here, and if you want to be a part of that but you can't be a part of that, follow up with me. I can kind of give you some notes. I can kind of talk you through that, and you can kind of contribute that way, but uh, the purpose of tonight, the first and probably a few meetings, is actually to kind of throw things on the table, ideas that we have, kind of some vision stuff, what needs are there represented within this church, represented within youth culture uh, at large. And so we want you to come with that. You've had a lot of time to be thinking about that. So if that's something that you're passionate about, if that's something that you want to be a part of, whether it's initially or long-term, we want you, uh, we want you to be here for that discussion, okay? So that is tonight at 6.30, Youth Roundtable Discussion. Tonight also, or this afternoon at 4.30, will be Girls Bible Study. That will continue. And then uh, uh, a reminder that the Wilson Baby Shower is October the 24th. We hope the Wilsons make it for that. Uh, and so that's the 24th. Um, and uh, uh, so you uh, plan to be there if you can. So, all right, that's all the announcements I have. I'm going to pray. Uh, and rather than read Scripture for our call to worship, I'm going to have it presented through a video. And so after I pray, you can just stay right there and uh, and we can have our call to worship via video today. So let's pray. Go to the Lord, ask his favor and blessing over our time today, and we'll move forward. Father, we confess to you that you are our true and deepest and surest hope that we have in this life. Lord, we rest on you and in you, Our hope rests in the gospel. Our hope rests in the fully functioning work of you as Father, you, Son, and you, Holy Spirit. We recognize that all three of you that represent the Godhead, Lord, are critical to the way that we live and the way that we move and the way that we have our being. So, Father, I pray that today we might see you. Christ, I pray that we might see you today. Holy Spirit, I pray that we might see you today as eternally lovely and deserving of our complete allegiance, our complete attention. Lord, I pray that we would be sure to give ourselves over to you today in spirit and in truth as our worship. Father, I pray that you would meet the needs represented here in this room. Lord, there's all kinds of needs that are represented, whether it be health, whether it be occupation, most importantly, whether it be spiritual, Lord, we pray for those here that may not be in you, Father, that you would communicate truth to them, God, that you would communicate your gospel to them, that your scripture would cut into the deepest recesses of their lives, exposing them, Lord, we pray that light would enter in and eradicate the darkness Father, we pray that you will inhabit the praises of your people today. We count it a true and deep privilege to be able to do what we do for the one we do, the one we do it for, um, and we thank you for that, uh, that, that that honor and that opportunity. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in our efforts, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank Kids, if you'll come up, you'll join me today, okay? Well, how's it going? Yeah. Is anyone super good? No. Super good. We got one super good. Super bad? Super bad. Any super bad? Calvin, you're super bad? You don't know bad, son. All right. Here we go. So let me ask you a question, okay? Now, what I want you to do when I ask you this question to answer, I want you to raise your hand, okay? Name. You don't even know the question yet. You don't even know the question. The question is going to be, how long have you been a wimp? Okay, so you, you raised your hand already. Here's the question. What is one of your most favorite inventions? Simon. Okay, we've got a pass for now. Karis. A, a painting that you painted... And you named it what? A force the force and the sea, a great place to be? That's your favorite invention, I don't know what invention Rewind is. a little bit. Sorry. Here I go using words. An invention is something that someone creates. Like, guess what? These shoes are an invention. There was a time where these shoes did not exist. There were a time where shoes in general did not exist. Somebody had to make them. A car has not a, shh, a car has not always existed. Someone had to invent it. So 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 hold on, Calvin. All right, Ellie. Uh, you you can make food out of a bracelet? No, that's a. Okay, okay. So a bracelet? Can we say that a bracelet is a cool invention? Can we say that? Okay, cool. All right. Yep, yep. Ethan invention I mean you got a big list to choose from, okay? That's a car. So you like cars. Okay, so there we go. Cars are a great invention. Okay, let me now let me talk for a second, okay? Let me talk for a second. So, one of my favorite inventions is lighters. Okay? It lights. It's a butane lighter. It's got a little blue, blue flame. Calvin, this way. So I love lighters, all right? Someone invented this a long time ago. Someone invented the, the, the ability, through their invention, someone created the ability for us to have instant fire. Do you know how important fire is, especially if you're trying to survive out in the woods by yourself? Fire can keep you warm. Fire will cook your food. Fire can provide light. Fire can keep animals that are bad, predatorial-type animals that want to eat you. It can keep those animals away. Fire can boil water, so you can eat that. Fire can essentially keep you alive, okay? So fire's pretty important. So of all the inventions, and there are so many that I really like, I like the fact that I can sit in a cushy padded chair. That's a great invention. I like that I can go home and sleep on a nice Cushy mattress, okay, because that's a fantastic invention. Could you imagine laying on dirt all your life, laying on roots and rocks and bugs? No way. We have a nice, comfy mattress. We got comforters we can pull over ourselves and stay nice and cozy, you know, and if we're afraid, we can hide under them. You know, there's all these things that we really like. These are fantastic, fantastic inventions. But when we look at something like this, we don't think, oh, wow, praise the lighter. We want to acknowledge the one who invented it. We don't look at the lighter and say, oh, you're so awesome. We really say, who made this? Because they're awesome, right? Now, oh, we're getting somewhere now. We're getting somewhere. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got the microphone. So chill out. Listen to this. Now we back up and see things a little bit differently. And we look around us and we see all the beauty of the world and we see that God made all these things. God made everything that makes inventions possible. Yes, a car may go through a line at a manufacturer and pieces get put together, okay? But God made that possible through the resources that he made within the earth and God even made man or men and women with the with the with the with the ability to think about how something like that could be put together. The medicines that we have, yes, we say praise the Lord for doctors, praise the Lord for medical professionals, praise the Lord for all of them who help us to feel well or to feel better. But at the end of the day, who should we praise most? God. Why? Because he's the one that made all of those medicines possible. Okay? The Bible says something very interesting about that. Hold on. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Look up all that you see, everything that exists out into space and all that. Those things exist. Do you know why? So that they can declare the glory of God. The the. The, the, the stars that we would never be able to get close to, the galaxies that you and I cannot see with the naked eye, the, the things that are so far out there that we haven't been able to discover yet. You say, well, why are they there if we can't discover them? Well, they're there not necessarily for you, but they're there for God. You are made for God. Your pets are made for God, all for his glory. And you say, well, how does that work? how does that really work? What is glory anyway? Well, it's really hard to understand. It's very, it's kind of a weird abstract kind of a way to think, but let me explain it this way. It's basically God's character on display. You have character as well. A matter of fact, Mr. Austin or Pastor Austin talked last week about what it is to be in the image of God, I believe, or he said that very recently. I remember because one of you gave a very bad answer to that, but anyway, <laughs> um, um, you know, <laughs> so, But the point is, you're made in the image of God, not your dog, not your cat, not the Madagascar hissing cockroaches that live in my laundry room, not Marley's snake, you know, not her gecko. None of those things are made in the image of God. Who are made in the image of God? Humans. Humans. And the way we know that is, A, the Bible tells us, but how is that shown? It's shown in our character. It's shown in our characteristics. Karis is creative. She talked about a painting that she just painted. All right? All right? Yeah, take a bow. That's fine. Still the glory for yourself. I get it. So Karis painted something. All right? And she is a good painter. I've seen some stuff on the Dixon's wall that Karis painted. Karis is creative. Why are you creative, Karis? Because God is creative. Right? Because God is creative. Right? I think I'm handsome because God is handsome. That's just me, though. I'm just thinking that. <laughs> So, (laughs) no comments from the adults. (laughs) But we're made in the image of God. That means we can show kindness because God is kind. Calvin, Calvin. We can be jealous because God is jealous. We can show love because God is loving. We can show compassion because God is compassionate. We can even hurt. We can be sad because God has very real feelings. You see what I'm saying? God is the most joyous being in all existence but he can also express anger sorrow grief so can you why because you are made in his image now the reason i say that everybody look, look at me look at me simon ethan look at me here we go let me let me let me put the last part of this on here for you to understand okay you are made the way you are to show the image of god to show the glory of god so that you might glorify God. The heavens declare the glory of God. You are created to declare the glory of God. God has made you to point back to Himself. So that when I look at Ethan, when Ethan looks at me, you know, we should see two really handsome dudes. But most importantly, we should see the glory of God and that God made Ethan in His image and God made me in His image. Now, here's the thing. We don't get to see the full glory of God right now. One day, there will be a time where God would allow us to encounter his full glory. Right now, the Bible says it would kill you. If you could encounter the full glory of God, all that make, makes God who he is, his beauty, his kindness, his love, his holiness, his generosity, his jealousy, if you could experience all of that, it would kill you. It would kill you. Now. Now. But one day, when God makes all things new as he says he will, when he makes you in such a way for all those who believe to be able to stand in the full glory of his presence, you will be able to truly see God for who God is. And that's a really cool thing. Moses wanted to see God's glory. He said, God, I want to see your glory. God said, I'll do this for you hide behind the rock. Hide behind the rock. Moses spent those days on the top of the mountain with God. God was giving Moses the law. And he says, God, I just want to see your glory. God said, what do you want? He said, I just want to see your glory. What a, what a crazy request. I want to see your glory. You know, some of us would be like, I'd like a car. Some of us like, I'd like, a, you know, these toys. I'd like marbles. I'd like, you don't play with marbles anymore. I'd like whatever. Moses said, I want to see your glory. And he says, you can't. Not fully. It'll kill you. So hide behind the rock. So Moses squeezed himself behind a rock, and God passed by. So that Moses could catch just a small peak of God's glory. And then when Moses left to go back down the mountain to the people of Israel. His face literally glowed in the dark. It glowed in the light. They're like, what is wrong with you Moses? <laughs> Standing next to too much radiation. You know, He had been in the presence of just a glimpse of God's glory. But one day, it won't be a glimpse that we see. It'll be the fullness of God's glory, and that is something to look forward to. That is a glorious, wonderful thing that all who believe in him get to look forward to. Is that not cool? I think that's pretty cool. All right, let's pray, and let's thank God for that reality, that one day, one day, although we see pieces of his glory now, and we're made for his glory, that one day we get to encounter that in full. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise that we have, and that when you make all things new, Lord, that you will give us bodies that can withstand your glory. Lord, uh, uh, we understand that that the heavens are, or that heaven has no need for the sun because of your glory, um, because of your glory, God. Um, You are all glorious. All three persons are glorious, and we thank you for that reality, that promise that we have. And we look forward to that day, Lord, Lord I pray that you would give us an appetite to pursue that an appetite to look forward to that lord a longing and a strong desire to one day encounter that lord uh, I pray that that would, would 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 drive us lord that that would propel us to to uh, just to move forward in that direction to look forward to those things to and to and to live today for that day and all that that means lord help to connect these truths that, Truth to these young minds and these young hearts. Um, may it embed itself, may it take root, Lord, and may it bring forth uh, just so much gratitude in their life and, and works out of their life so that others may see those good works and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You are dismissed.
0: Um, if y'all would stand while I read um, Psalm 23 and then we'll continue to worship. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall not.
1: Pray again as Austin gets ready to come up. Father, we do ask that at this time that you would um, open our minds to receive your word, Lord. That uh, that we would truly subject ourselves to it. That we would truly see it as the gift that it is, Lord. That we would see it as life-giving, life imparting, Lord. That your word is true. That it is reliable, Lord. That it is perfect. It has everything in it as far as the Bible's concerned, everything in it that you've desired for us to 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 have, Lord, that there's nothing new, nothing to be added, but everything that we need for this life, for hope, for salvation, for conduct as followers of Christ and for your glory, it's there. Lord, we know that if all the things with regard to you were tried to, were, 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 were If there was an attempt to contain them in books, there would not be enough books in the world. Your scripture says that. So we trust that we have what you've given to us, Lord. So prepare us now uh, to subject ourselves to your word. May we believe it. May we hold it to be true. May we live it. And uh, you be glorified as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Have a Bible? I hope you do. Turn with me to Galatians Chapter Four. All right, Galatians Four. I can stand where I can see everybody. <laughs> All right. Galatians four, verse nineteen. Now, it'll be a little different this morning. Um, we're we're going to focus on one verse, um, and uh, we're going to focus on on one verse. And I'm moving to the end of this section in in Galatians. Um, So we're going to focus on verse 19 and um, in, in the same way, if you've ever been to like a park or something, you've been somewhere where you went to see a waterfall and you may have started somewhere up high where you could see the waterfall at a distance, you could see it fully. And then you you stood there, you gazed at it in awe, and then you took a trail down maybe to the base of the waterfall. So in the same way, we're going to look at verse 19 from the big picture perspective. um, And then uh, towards the end of the sermon, um, we're going to walk through the verses that precede it as we walk up to that verse um, to, to see it a little fuller, okay. So don't think that well the things that preceded this verse we're going to miss them. We'll get there. They're just a little more fitting to give an, applica- an application. Um, but I think what Paul brings to the table here in verse 19 really encompasses the core of this section, um, and is worth our time really digesting and, and spending time in. Um, so I'm just going to read verse 19, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'll move into, into the sermon, um, and we'll get to the preceding verses as we go through. So like I said, a little different, um, we're still going to get the same, the same expositional you know, preaching, it's just going to be a little different this morning. All right, so with that said, uh, Galatians 4:19, my children with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would open your word. That you would show us what it means that Christ is formed in us. The, the, the glory that we have in Jesus would be made evident in our lives. Father, you would do your sovereign work to make us more like Jesus, and that, Father, we would be challenged to take on the awesome task of making disciples, not disciples that look like us, but disciples that look like Jesus. So, Father, would you come? Would you meet with us through your word? Keep me faithful to your word. Father, may you bring to, to light the truths that are here that your people need to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. We're getting to that time of year, aren't we? Christmas is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Right, I always, I always have this grand idea, you know, after every Christmas that you know next year, my ideal is to have all of the Christmas shopping done before December 31st. So that all I got to do is like wrap presents, and that never happens, you know. So, but I, I do, I do have a lot of fond memories of Christmas as a, as a kid, and not everybody does. Um, but for me, I have a lot of fond memories as a child of Christmas at home and Christmas at grandparents. Um, And and one of those um, is, um, I love the the movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You know, not the, not necessarily the newer one, you know, with Jim Carrey. I mean, it's good, but uh, the the 1966 version that was made for TV, you know, uh, the cartoon. um, I I just, I I love, I love that movie. Um, And and as I was studying for this passage, that that movie kind of kept coming back to my mind, you know, that the close of the movie where the Grinch is on top of the mountain and he's very upset because Christmas still came, you know, without po- packages, boxes and bags and you know, all these other things. And th- the movie at the core is a story about transformation. It is it's a story about transformation, right? The, the Grinch's heart grew ten sizes and I don't know Dr. Seuss's theological bent. I yeah, you know, I didn't spend time in, investing in that, but I think in that story he captures something of the truth of the gospel that the gospel at its heart is a, is about transformation. It's about a change that happens when we have an encounter with the mercy and the grace and the glory of God through Jesus. And so as we come to this section in, in, in Paul's letter, we're, we're to a point where Paul, he, he bends in a relational sense to the Galatians, not giving up of anything, but you see the relational bent of the gospel, right? And, and so for pastors, for churches, like we want something to happen in you. You know, it's not just let's give you a whole bunch of information, or let's entertain you, or let's get together and let's have a whole bunch of potluck dinners, and you know, let's have a good time. Like we actually, we want something to happen. We want the gospel to bear fruit in your life. We want to see that transformation, right? And so we labor for it. And this is Paul's point, right? This is Paul's point. He's not a he's not this stodgy academic, you know, who's, who's just trying to give a whole bunch of information. Right. I think a lot of times Paul gets a bad rap now for being so high and lofty and theological. But right here in these in these verses, we get a sense of that 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 Paul's not he's he's not just this academic guy who wants everybody to conform to this this doctrine. No, no, no. He's a loving, caring pastor. Okay? Think about it. He's He's exhausted every avenue he can think of in order to try and persuade the Galatians to cling to the true gospel. Okay, think back what we've been through in Galatians so far. The first two chapters, Paul argues for the true gospel based off his own personal testimony. He's arguing for his own basis for his ministry and that the gospel is true based off what's happened in him and then his own ministry thereafter, Okay? Then he, moves on. He, argue, he argues about the true gospel from the promises of the Old Testament. Okay? He's arguing this to, to Gentiles many of whom don't know stories from the Old Testament. But he's like I'm going to go there because this is what you need to know. This is what you should know. This is a lot of what I expounded to you when I brought you the gospel in the first place. Then he argues from the Old Testament law. Okay, And then eventually this is what Alan preached on last week. He gives cultural parallels to family life right so he's he's exhausting every avenue he can in order to try and persuade the Galatians cling to the true gospel don't capitulate to these Judaizers who are trying to add to grace add to the gospel cling to the true gospel and now he appeals to them relationally from their heart Look at the language that he uses in this section. He says, in verse 11, I fear for you that I've labored for over you in vain. He says, I beg of you, brethren. He's using familial language. I beg of you, brethren. Right, he says, later he says, of course in verse 19, and we'll, we'll get to unpacking that. But then he says, um, uh, he, he says, I'm perplexed about you. Literally, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do with you. What more can I say to try and convince you of the true gospel. It should be a reminder for us that as pastors, the good pastors are theologically robust and they are relationally connected. They have to have the both of them. Many pastors fail because they're one or the other, but never both. And so this is the crux of of Paul's appeal here in verse 19 hes appealing to them relationally. He says, my children with whom I'm again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Okay. So this is where we're going to really spend our time. And here's, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see how Paul takes one metaphor and then flips it over. Okay. Look at what he says. He says, my children. Okay. This is just Tender language, again, very tender language, relationally c- trying to connect with them. My children with whom I'm again in labor, Th- with whom I'm again in labor, that, that Greek word that's used there for in labor is the phrase that's used to capture the idea of a fetus going through the transformational pr- process of becoming a baby and then exiting the womb. Okay, so so he's using that very intentionally there, and we'll get to more of that here shortly. But I want you to see that. He's, He's saying, I'm in labor over you. I'm in labor over you until Christ is formed in you, until Christ is formed in you. See, there's a labor that's going on in you, Galatians. There's a labor that's going on in you, church. God is forming Jesus in you. So you see those two kind of metaphors. I mean, this kind of stretches the limits of our, uh, of our imagination, really. And Paul does this all throughout his letters. He begins with one metaphor, and suddenly he flips it on another, and you kind of have to jump back and forth, right? Because he's, he's trying to capture the idea of what it's like for him as a pastor to disciple, to shepherd the Galatians, to shepherd the people of God. Especially in this instance where they're turning away from him. He said, so I'm in labor f- for you. I'm going through these labor pains with you until Christ is formed in you. So you see those two, those two metaphors flipped back and forth. Okay? And so really what he's talking about is, okay, he's, he's saying that he's making disciples. And this discipleship making with the Galatians is like childbirth. But his making is actually God's doing, right? He says that until Christ is formed in you, the structure of that language is not that Paul is forming Christ, but that Christ is being formed in them, that God is doing the formation work, right? So you think of a, of a baby, Paul's like the mom, okay? He's, he's borrowing this language, okay? Again, he's borrowing this language, just trying to capture what this is like. Again, he's, he's stretching Trying to appeal to you, you know, as the mother carries the baby and it's formed. Paul is is borrowing from that language. I mean, labor with you until Christ is formed in you, until there's a formation within you. So now, all of a sudden, the Galatians become the mother. If you're following the analogy, you're seeing how this is kind of flipping back and forth, right? Hard to follow, but Paul's got a point here. There's something being formed. In you, Okay, what well, Paul's saying, basically, I mean, what he's always mod- showing for us in this one verse is, this is discipleship 101. This is discipleship 101, and when the wheels of discipleship hit the road, they had better be robust. Because as you look at this, there's nothing about this that says it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Right? So let me let me give you my aim. Here is what here is what I want to do this morning. Okay, I want to one to help us understand the formation of Christ in the soul. Okay, that's the second part. Christ is formed in you. When I ask the question, "What does it mean?" What does Paul mean when he says Christ is formed in you? And then also to see the sober reality of laboring in making disciples. My hope is the effect of that. Is to stir you up to labor in making disciples, to engage in the hard work of making disciples. Okay, so that, that's where that's where we're going. Two metaphors, two goals. What does it mean that Christ is formed in you? And then what does it look like to labor in making disciples? Okay? Everybody with me? Hopefully I've not lost Anyway, <laughs> The metaphor flip. I, I know that's 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 weird. That's why we're spending time here. Okay. All right, so the second part, here's where we're going first. Christ is formed in you. Okay, how Christ, The spirit of Christ is formed in man. Here's what I want to do. I want to explain this from scripture. Okay, we're going to look at, we're going to just get, take a stroll through Galatians because Paul, Paul explains this through Galatians. So we're going to take a stroll through Gal- Galatians and we're going to look at one verse in, uh, in Colossians. Okay, and then I want to summarize it. So I'm going to turn on the fire hydrant for a minute, hit you hard with it, and then I'm going to peel that back and then hopefully put it in a cup and serve it. okay. Hit with the fire hydrant, hard, a lot of water, okay? Give you a cup of summary. So if you kind of get lost in here with the fire hydrant, don't just, you know, hold your breath, okay? And then the, hopefully the summary will be, will be helpful. Some people like the fire hydrant, you know, it's great, and then others kind going drown. So we're going to try and do both here, okay? All right, so what does Paul mean? When Paul says, I, I labor with you until Christ is formed in you, that morphe, Christ is formed in you. Paul, what do you mean? You look at the, at the Gospels and the story of Jesus. I mean, Jesus did a lot of phenomenal things that we're not expected to do. I mean, he took fish and he multiplied. He took bread and multiplied and fed thousands. He raised the dead. He walked on water. Right? We, we don't talk to our children and say, okay, Jesus walked on water. What's the, what's the lesson of this? Be like Jesus and go walk on the lake. That's not discipleship. That's not, that's not Christ formed in you. That's not what that looks like. So what what does he mean? What does he mean? Well, let's take a stroll through Galatians, and let's hit some verses where Paul kind of explains this, okay? And the first one we go to is Galatians 2.20. We've preached on this, so hopefully this is kind of familiar, just kind of stir this back up again. We've already been here, so this is helpful, I hope. Paul, speaking of his own conversion, what does it look like for Christ to be formed in Paul. Paul writes this. He says, "I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me." Okay, reread that. Christ is formed in me. Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Do you remember that Paul's talking about? He's comparing his life in Christ with life to the law. Paul was a Pharisee, Pharisee of Pharisees. He prided himself on his identity as a Pharisee, gaining his identity, his own righteousness from the law. But the dirty truth of that was there was never contentment. He knew he never lived up to that standard, right? And so what Paul's saying is that he died to the law as a way of living. He no longer got his identity, his self-worth from his personal performance, but right now, now through the gospel, when the veil was taken away and he saw Jesus, he, he knew who Christ was and he believed in Christ, his identity, his, his worth came from the righteousness that had been given to him in Jesus. And so now he says, now, the, now I live out of that identity. And that identity, that identity came as he received the spirit of Christ through the gospel. As he was adopted. This is what, Paul, what Alan preached on last week. Using the picture of adoption from, from chapter 4. right Where Paul says at the right time uh, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. So that he might redeem those who were under the law. Why? Paul says so that we might receive our adoption as sons. Well, what does that look like Paul the next verse he explains it because he says because you are sons God has sent forth his, his sent forth the spirit of his own son into our hearts crying Abba Father okay so Paul saying me being formed in Christ as I was adopted into the family of God through faith God gave me his spirit gave me the spirit of Christ and that's key Because the new life for the Christian, the new life that the Christian lives is fueled by the spirit of Christ. It's fueled through the spirit of Christ. Paul says previously in chapter three, he says, you know, if there was a law that could give you righteousness, give you a right standing before God, could bring you into his family, then, then then righteousness would come through the law. If righteousness could impart life, then we'd be saved through the law. But it's not. This is why he says, the law came with a curse, not life with a curse. But Jesus took our curse on himself when he hung on the cross. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the promise that was given to Abraham, I'll bless all the, all the nations through your seed, might come to the Gentiles. So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, it's the Spirit of Christ that's given through faith that imparts life, new relationship with God, that, that vertical component. right? Paul says again in, in chapter four, he says, he says, because he says, now that you've come to know God, or rather that, uh, that, that God knows you, right?" rather to be known by God. You have a new relationship with God, not of your own doing, but this is all of God's work. And that new relationship is sealed by him giving you the spirit of Christ. And this new life, what kind of a flavor does this new life take on, Paul? What does that, what does that look like? What does that, that new life look like? He opens our eyes to it towards the end of Galatians Galatians five thirteen He says, "You were called for freedom, brethren only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. okay this is towards the end of Galatians and he's he's talking about what life and what life looks like for the believer don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh don't sin so that grace may abound rather now he's going to explain what does that look like he says rather Through love, serve one another. So new life in Christ takes on a flavor of selfless love. Giving up of yourself for the holy good of others. Right? So so in the gospel, when Christ is formed in us, we have a new identity. We have a new identity in Jesus, having been crucified with him, and that begets new behaviors, which are evidence of Christ being formed in this, in us. Paul summarizes this at the end in, in Galatians 5. All right. He says, he says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus belong to Christ Jesus whose identity are in Christ have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Old way of life done away with in Jesus. Buried with Christ done away with. Right. That identity begets new behaviors. He says, if we live by the spirit If we have our identity in the spirit let us walk by the spirit let us live a life in obedience to Christ seeking to model him as he's given us our spirit we have a new identity, new behaviors new affections alright so there's kind of Paul explaining that, what does it mean that Christ is formed in us so let's go one other place. I told you fire hydrant, okay? One other place. Just to give you a lot to think on, okay? Hang with me, okay? This is actually, it's its amazing. You read through Paul's letters, you see this theme constantly come up. I mean, we could spend all day and we'd go through every single one of Paul's letters. You could bracket sections where Paul talks about the same thing, okay? Just a little bit different, a little bit different context. Well, let's go to one other place, Colossians 1.27, Okay? Same concept, same idea, except the Colossian church, Paul is encouraging them. They're not trying to jets in the gospel. No, Epaphras has given them the gospel. He's he shared the gospel with them. They've believed. Kind of the same thing that happened in Galatia. The gospel was given, church was formed. Epaphras comes to Paul, says, hey, guess what? These people believed over here. They love, they love the church. They love Jesus. Paul's encouraged, so he writes them a letter. I'm so encouraged by this. So I'm encouraged by the the fact that you believed in the gospel. And so I'm going to encourage you. And so what does he do? Well, he expounds on the gospel and the overall big picture of what God is doing in redemptive history. And his own ministry to the church. Talking about his ministry of the gospel to the church. And then we get to uh, verse 27. He says, this is the saints that are in the church and what has been given to them. Colossians 127. The saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which is Christ in you. That, that same idea is Christ formed in you. Is Christ formed in you. So what is what's Paul saying? What's Paul saying? Let's, let's work backwards. Christ in you. What does that mean? He says, well, it's the riches of the glory. Of this mystery among the Gentiles, okay. When Paul talks about the mystery of the glory, this mystery—that's the the gospel, the fact that through Christ the Gentiles would be reconciled into the family of God, into the family of those who have who have in the past had faith in God's promises. Okay, so this is the mystery among uh, uh, that's that's displayed among the Gentiles. Okay, that Christ in you. Is the process by which God is reconciling you Gentiles, that's what he's saying, you Gentiles, through Jesus to himself in order to present you holy and blameless before the Father. Okay? And so that's, that's Paul's picture. When Paul preaches the gospel, it's what he's got in mind. This is what God is doing. So I'm going to preach the gospel and we're going to see what happens. And in every city he goes to, in every city people, where the gospel is preached, this is what happens. God opens the eyes of people in that city, not everyone, some, maybe it's a few, maybe it's many, to see the value of Jesus, the grace that's given to them in the gospel, their hearts are turned, the spirit of God is given to them, there's new life that comes out of that, and a church is born, right there, St. Paul says this is, this is a mystery, it's been, been hidden from ages, that this is, was gonna be in God's plan, but now he's bringing it about, and now he's bringing it about. Christ is being formed in people as the gospel is being preached. And so Paul, with this vision in his mind, this idea, was he, how does he pray for people? What does it look like when Paul thinks about the nuts and bolts of how Christ is formed? Okay, it was, it's Christ in you. When verse 9 through 12 of Colossians 1, we get a glimpse of that. He prays for the nuts and bolts of Christ to be formed In the Colossians. Okay, being filled with the knowledge of God's will with spiritual wisdom. I'm summarizing what he says here. Okay, being filled with the knowledge of God's will with spiritual wisdom. To live a life worthy of the grace shown to you. Seeking to please the Lord, not in an effort to earn his favor, but because his favor has been lavished upon you through adoption. Bearing fruit in your relationship with others. Strengthen with his power to do hard things for his glory because only he can pull those things off. Being steadfast in your faith, being filled with patience because God is sovereign and you're not. And this work is something that God is doing and he's doing through you, and so there's a lot of patience and dependence. As he forms Christ in you, but you also rub shoulders and do life along other side of people whom Christ is, God is forming Christ in. A lot of patience has to be present. Being full of joy in the word of the Lord and the work that he's doing and always giving thanks. Okay, so there's two, two sections, one verse from Colossians and then uh, a, just kind of a, a stroll through Galatians. And what, is, what does it mean that Christ is formed? Okay, we'll dial back the fire hydrant a little bit. Let me kind of give a simple summary. Okay? How would you put that in a nutshell, Austin? That's a, that's a lot. How do you put that in a nutshell? Christ being formed in you is the process by which the spirit of Christ, given to you through faith in the gospel, makes you more like Jesus. In character, in person, in your identity. You have a new relationship with God, right? Reconciled adopted, all of the things that Jesus has through his legitimate sonship are now yours because you are reconciled through Christ. So you have a new relationship with God, but you also have a new relationship with people, right? Broken image bearers of God who are either having Christ formed in them right, they believe the gospel, they're coming, to, they're, they're being sanctified, right, they're growing in grace and knowledge of Christ, okay, Christ is being formed in them, or they, they are, they have not yet had any of this happen, right, they're in need of reconciliation and adoption, bound for eternal punishment if that never happens, the only way that that can happen is through the gospel, so with that new relationship with God who's given through His Spirit come new affections. There's new desires. New desires that center around the willingness to let go of the things that will glorify and exalt you and to serve others so Christ might be formed in them and Christ might be exalted. Okay, so Christ being formed in you. What does that look like? That's, that's the process by which the Spirit of God Given to you through faith in the gospel makes you more like Jesus. Okay, so what what do we take away from that? How do we how do we apply that? I think the first question is: Are you aware of Christ being formed in you? Is that, is that on your radar? So your radar when you walk outside these walls, as you go throughout your week, right? This is what God is doing, and He's forming Christ in you. This is what you're participating in right engaged in it actively welcoming it the hard work of God forming Christ in you or either being totally oblivious to it and pushed away from it so you're aware of that are you, are you participating in that in Christ in Christ being formed in you and then secondly are you watching over your souls Remember what Paul, what Paul is writing about. He was, he's laboring over so much. The background of this are, 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 are sheep stealers and soul butchers, as one commentator wrote. I mean, that, that's what these Judaizers are. They're trying to steal sheep out of the flock of God and butcher their souls. Graphic illustration, but you get the idea, right? That's what, that's what Paul is warning about. So these alternative gospels, these different avenues, these false gospels are damning to the soul. Paul's warning adamantly about guarding against those. Every single letter that Paul writes, to the best of my knowledge, all the letters that he writes, and where he talks about, where he talks about these themes and these ideas, he always admonishes, watch over your soul whether it's the church that's moving away from Christ and he's trying to draw them back in or it's like the the church at Ephesus and church at Colossae. You're doing well. Watch over your soul. Don't drift away because he knows right around the corner is a wolf who's gonna snatch sheep out. So you're watching over your souls. And so that's Christ formed in us, the process of being made more like Jesus. But then how does that happen? does that happen well that's the other metaphor because the work of christ being formed in us is a work that we as a church that the people of god are engaged in okay christ formed in us paul calls this a labor of love okay that language that he uses i'm in labor over you until christ is formed in you right now again he's borrowing from that language right paul's never birthed the baby I'll guarantee you that, you know. But I'm sure he's watched children be born, right? And so he's borrowing from that. What, what words, what picture can I use to describe what this discipleship looks like? The labor of childbirth. Now, I won't give a show of hands, but I know every woman here who's had a child will say, that is not an enjoyable experience. That is tough but what is gained at the outset of it makes it worth it, right? So why we call children are precious, right? They're hard little boogers, but they are precious, absolutely. So Paul borrows from this as their spiritual father, as their you know, the one who, who who brought the gospel to them in the first place. He uses this language again tenderly to describe his relationship. With them, now he's not talking about a rededication. No, he's not. You need to rededicate your life to Jesus, or you need to be born again and again and again. Let's re-crucify Christ to you. That's not the language, not the idea that that he's engaged in. I mean, what he's what he's showing for us, what he's revealing for us, is the reality of discipleship that it's messy. When Paul says, "I'm perplexed over you," I'm at my wit's end. I mean, he's literally saying. I don't know whether you're truly in Christ or not. You see the mix of the language that he uses in Galatians. He calls them brethren. He refers to them as the church. But then he uses a lot of language that says, I mean, you're moving hard fast away from the gospel. They have the gospel. They've shown fruits of it. They've tasted of the good things to come as as Hebrews 6 says. But they're not acting like it. He's genuinely perplexed. Now, if you're in Christ and you know Jesus, you have a desire to, to see people come to faith in Christ, I, I hope this gives you comfort. How many people do you know or have known in the past or had relationships with? You saw fruits in them. You know, they believed the gospel. They may have sat alongside you in church. They were in youth group or, you know, you're like, man, this person's a great Christian. Maybe he was even a past mentor. And then all of a sudden, one day, something something's different. You're like, you're moving in the opposite direction, and you're generally p- perplexed. You don't know if you're in Christ or not, and you don't know what to do about it. You know, do we need to baptize you again? Do you, you rededicate your life? I and mean, what, you know, we we have this idea. Oftentimes, we want proof. We want proof, and we want assurance. And when it's not there. We invent new ways of of establishing assurance. And I think it should be comforting to us to see that for Paul, Paul's not trying to go through some new ritual. He's not trying to, you know, well, here's your second step. He's like, look, you need the gospel. The same gospel that saved you, if in fact you are saved, is what keeps you, it's what draws you back. Don't drift away. You don't need something new. You need the very gospel that you believed in, in the first place. That's what he spent four chapters expounding and trying to labor and explain. It's not something new. It's the very same gospel that you had to begin with. And so this is the experience so many of us I think go through. What do we do with this person? I don't know if you're saved, I don't know if you're if you're not, but you know, at the end of the day, that's God's that's that's between you and the Lord. But I know my responsibility. It's to give you the gospel, to remind you of the gospel that you already know. I think Paul also shows us the the practical side of of a labor of love, right? Of giving up of oneself for the holy good of others, right? This is the nitty-gritty, hard, messy work of discipleship, right? It's unflattering. There's no self-aggrandizement in there, Right, I mean, you think of, consider Paul's sufferings. I mean, all the sufferings that Paul speaks about that he went through. Filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Right? All of these things that Paul spoke of for the sake of the churches. Right, there's no padding on the bag, no Paul sitting on a pedestal, you know, no Paul sitting in an upper room writing a bunch of letters in cushy comfort. I mean, Paul is, he is down and dirty with people in relationships and his hard work. Right, I think so often we can easily think of discipleship as well, we're going to sit down, we're going to have this nice Bible study, and you know, going to impart some wisdom to you, you know, give you a whole bunch of academic things, and then just send you on your way, and I pat myself on the back, I've done a good job. Right? And Paul says, no, the true discipleship work is life on life as yes Christ is formed in you and then you're modeling this to others there's teaching that goes on there yeah there's there's ex- explanation of things that are in scripture right but it's messy work it's life on life right and it's and it's hard and some days things are going well you know they're like man this person's growing in the lord and then you turn around and you're like you just walked off a cliff you know and it's frustrating right and, and we realize, because this is where that patience part comes in, we realize that so much of this work of forming Christ is in God's hands that we're left to say with Paul, I'm in labor with you until God forms Christ in you. I'm going to continue to be faithful. And I'm going to let God do his work. I'm going to do my work of being a conduit for Jesus. And then I'm going to pray that Christ is formed in you. And so there's, so there's Paul, labor, labor of love for people. Now, Paul models this for us. So, so what does that look like on a practical level? Ministry, discipleship, what does that look like? Well, Paul models this for us in, in verses 12 through 15. So I'm just going to walk through these, just briefly, okay? Because Paul, first, as a pastor, he gives this. No, what does this look like for pastors, but then for all believers, Right? What does this look like for all believers? Because it's not just pastors who are called to disciple. It's not just people who are equipped for this type of ministry or that type of ministry or, or, uh, or missions. No, Paul says the, all of the church, whether you've got one or two people that you're in context with, that you're speaking the gospel to, right, that, that you've been given to be a conduit of Christ to, or whether you've got a 1,000 This is the charge for all disciples. So what Paul demonstrates for us, what he models for us is helpful for all Christians. So let's look at these in turn. So first in verse 11, he hints at this idea of laboring, right? He says, I fear I've labored over you in vain. I fear that I've labored over you in vain. And then in verse 12, he says, I beg of you, brethren, become as I am. That's that, that's similar language to what he writes in 1 Corinthians eleven one, where he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so what we see here from Paul is, is that discipleship is modeling Christ to others, right, modeling Christ to others. And you may say, no, I don't like that. I'm sorry, that's what's there. No, that's not comfortable for me. I don't like that idea of you're modeling Jesus. To others. You, you are the example of what, of what a life turned around through the gospel looks like to a lost world. I mean, that should land on you like a pile of bricks. It hits me hard. Paul says, be like me as I am like Christ, okay? Not for your glory, but for Christ's for Christ's glory. That, that's what, when Paul gets to verse 16, he says, it's, or verse 18, he says, it's all good to always be sought eagerly in a commendable manner. I think that's what he means when he says in a commendable manner. It's good for people to seek you in one way. Now there's one way where it's not good, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I think when he says it's good for them to seek you in a commendable manner, I think that's what he means. That when you live your life formed With Christ formed in you, not perfect, but growing in your relationship with with the Lord in such a way that the glory and that commendation goes straight through you and goes to Jesus, right? I've, I've, I've met, there are certain people that the Lord's put in my life in the past that I can look back on and say, this person modeled Jesus so well. I enjoyed being in their presence, and I wanted to be to spend time with them and they didn't even know it, like, really. I mean, I'd, the, the, it, I, I kn- these people I know, if I came up to them, you know, and said, I really want to just hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. And they're like, well, I don't understand why. You know, then when I was in college, there was a young man that I, I just, I sought after. I said, look, can you disciple me? And he's like, well, yeah, sure. Why me? You know, and I was like, I'm, I'm watching the way you live your life, and I see Christ in there, and I want to know more of that. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, you know. And so we sat down and we, you know, for, for months we had lunch together. Um, But, but that aspect of, of, of when Christ is formed in you and being sought in a commendable manner, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that your focus is on Jesus being made like Jesus. And so the glory, that commendation goes through you and goes to Christ, right? That's not something that you can strategize and plan or lay out in five easy steps, it's a matter of character, born of the Spirit of God, and you know it when you see it in someone else. It's that magnetic nature of a personality of someone whom Christ is being formed in. Paul says that's what that's what's happening in me. So where you see that, imitate Jesus. Imitate that because that is Jesus. But the second part of it, he says, Become as I I became as you are he says become as i am for i also have become as you are right that's that's the big big word for that's contextualization right in second corinthians 12:9 paul paul's famous phrasing of you know i uh, i became all i become all things to all people so that i might save some right now there's a lot of weeds there we could get lost in okay but very very simply i think to keep us in the lane I think a way of understanding that is what Paul's saying is that he has a willingness to shed the unnecessary in order that the necessary shines through, right? Okay? It's a challenge for us to enter into the world of those we minister to, right? And Paul was was willing to set aside all the things that he previously held dear, right? All of his ethnic rights all of his all the things that were in the law all of these things i'm going to set all of these things aside i'm going to eat meat that i've previously wouldn't i'm going to do these things in the context of gentiles i normally wouldn't do maybe makes me feel a little uncomfortable but i want christ to be formed in them so i'm willing to set these unnecessary things aside the things that might hinder me or might hinder them in order that they might see jesus so it's a challenge to enter into the world of those we minister to, right? that might be like sitting down and playing video games, okay? If that's not your thing, you know, this is the group God's put you in context with. Do that. You know, maybe it's with your kids. We were sitting at breakfast this morning eating pancakes, and my daughters are like, Mommy, Daddy, we want you all to play Barbies with us. I don't know how to play Barbies. I don't. No. And I'm like, okay, maybe, may, you know, I, we'll get out on the floor and, you know, engage in, in playing Barbies, you know, with, with my kids, okay, so that, that we can build relationship there. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to speak gospel into Barbie. I don't know. You know, we'll see, um, you know, but it's it's building relationship there. You know, that's not my thing, but I love my kids and willing to set aside my things and, you know, I'd rather be building something, you know, but I love my kids. I want to spend time with them. Now, somebody this evening I know is going to ask, Austin, did you b- play Barbies? You know, stay tuned. We'll find out. Okay? It also means doing more listening. Right? It means doing more listening. I, uh, w- when, when Nathan was in our MC um, uh, pre, you know, previously, um, we would have meals, and we'd have guests that would come over, folks that weren't necessarily in the MC. I always loved to watch Nathan because Nathan would sit down with people who he had no, maybe nothing in common with, no, no previous relationship, and he would sit and listen, and would engage in conversation. The playing field in 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 that context was always on the other person. I was so encouraged by that. My like, Lord, help me to be a better listener. And I'm so encouraged by people in our church to watch where Christ is formed in you. I'd say, Lord, make me more like this, because I see a I see a Bit of Jesus in this person. I'm really encouraged by that. Contextualization. Beca- I became as you are. But then we also see Paul models for us that discipleship happens when life is hard. Verse 13, he says, you know, it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you a fir- the first time. Now, we're not told much about that. There's nothing else in Scripture that tells us what kind of bodily illness that was. Some commentators say, well, maybe it was malaria. Uh, maybe, it was a, maybe it was an ocular issue that he had, given what he says later about your willingness to, to pluck out your eyes for me. A lot of commentators say, well, no, that's hyperbole because the eyes were the most precious thing that an individual possessed, you know, basically. Um, so, but either way, um, you know, maybe he had uh, epilepsy. There, there's different ideas about what he had. The end of the day we 're not told no, but we do know that it was hard and that it was suffering for Paul. It was a bodily illness that he preached the gospel to the to the Galatians, okay, as he was going through these different cities, he was afflicted with some sort of a bodily illness that was suffering and difficult for him and yet what I think we ought to draw out of this is the fact that he he preached the gospel to them when he felt bad. I mean when you feel bad, those of you who've had covid had the flu had you know whatever. Sometimes one of the hardest things to do is actually have conversations with people. You just want to go crawl in a hole and say, "Just leave me alone." You know, even some of the, the even some of your hobbies, things that you enjoy, you don't want to do. And yet, the gospel had so impacted Paul, had so changed him that even when he felt horrible, even when life was hard, he said, "Well, I'm in this city. <laughs> I don't I don't feel well." I have an opportunity, Lord, keep me faithful. I guarantee you the message that he preached wasn't pretty. You know, when I don't feel well and it's time to preach, or when Alan doesn't feel well, it's time to preach. I mean, we talk about afterwards, we're like, that was hard. You know, it's not, thoughts don't connect. I mean, you understand this just in relationships, right? It's hard to have conversations with people and be coherent. And yet Paul was faithful even when life was hard because he had that picture of the vision. This is what God's called me to. So I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to give the gospel even when I don't feel well, even when life is hard. But then also he gives us the fruit of discipleship. He says, that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received it as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I fear, I fear, for I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me, right? So the effect of Paul's preaching of the word on the Gentiles was that their hearts were transformed and that overflowed in selfless love for Paul, right? It's it's not because, it's not because they liked Paul. Tradition kind of paints Paul as a, he's not a real handsome guy. He's not somebody who would stick out in a crowd and say, that guy needs to be in front of a camera. I don't know. And not, and not to mention the fact that with his bodily illness, he was apparently very very ocularly offensive to people. Right? That in, in pagan religions, a lot of times, if somebody was sick and they were visibly afflicted, it was a sign either that you were demonically possessed or that the gods were not happy with you. And to literally put a lot in a lot of pagan societies the cure for that was people would spit on you. And that's what he says. He says, you didn't despise or loathe me. You didn't spit on me. But rather, you did a phenomenal thing that's evidence of the gospel at work in your heart is that you welcomed me. That you And you, and you were going so far in your selfless love that you would pluck out your eyes for me. And that's huge. I mean, how many of you would pluck out your eyes for something? I mean, I, that, if somebody comes to me and says, would you pluck your eye out for me? I'm like, can we do something else? About 10 like, bucks? Maybe, you know, it, that, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's hard, right? And so Paul's saying, you know, the effect of the preached word on you, the gospel that you received when Christ, when the spirit of Christ was put in you and Christ was formed in you, being formed in you, what that look like, that looked like an overflow of selfless love towards me. Paul says, this was joy for you, but you've lost it. He says, where's that sense of blessing that you had? Where you counted yourself happy, where he says blessing. You've counted yourself happy. Where is it? It's gone. He said, now your service is drudgery. It's the fruit of faithful discipleship. When Christ is formed in us, what does that look like? That looks like selfless love overflowing towards others and joy doesn't mean that every day is going to be happy I mean look at this is what Paul says I'm in labor with you right but the overall picture is one of joy in the Lord alright two more Paul says the next one Paul says in verse 16 I have so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth what does faithful gospel discipleship look like it means speaking hard truths in love right well, what's, what's the measure of someone's love you? Is it gifts? Flowers? Money? Wor- words of affection? I mean, what, what is, how do we measure that? Right? You think about popular movies and things like, how do you know that the guy loves the girl? Well, because somewhere towards the end of the movie, the crux of the movie hinges on his willingness to die for her. Right? And we walk away, ooh, oh man, how much did he love her? Right? I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal contrast. That, that, that the man would give up his life for the woman he loves. That makes a great love story, right? Because we're attracted to that. We see the genuine measure of love when someone is willing to give up, w- what someone is willing to give up for the good of someone else, right? So what Paul shows for us here, he says, if I become your enemy by telling you the truth, he's, he's demonstrating his love for them that hard truths are lovingly spoken at great risk for the holy good of someone that we truly care about like the opposite would be true if we genuinely don't care about someone we're not going to speak hard truths for them right someone running out in the mi- in the middle of traffic if we genuinely don't care about them we're going to let them get squashed i hope that we do something right even even if we don't know that person, right? For a good person, someone might be willing to die, might be willing to go out and snatch them. The picture for, the, for, for those, for, for people in the gospel is that, well, we were enemies, Christ died for us. It tells you the true measure of God's love for us. Hard truths spoken lovingly. Great risk for the holy good of someone that we truly care about. Discipleship speaks hard truths when they're needed. And then the last, we la- lastly is really comparing two ministries. Okay, Paul moves next talking about those who have infiltrated the church at Galatia, these Judaizers who are trying to add to the gospel. He says they eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. It's a contrast of two ministries. Paul's ministry, right, gospel-centered grace, right, that focuses on outdoing one another in honor, right? Christ formed in you. And these Judaizers, it's a legalistic ministry, right? They don't have an issue with Jesus. They just want to add to it. They want to add to it. But what does that do? It creates this spiritual hierarchy. And thus people begin to compare with one another. So what happens in a when the, the gospel becomes man-centered, when the gospel becomes this legalistic um, ministry that focuses on your efforts rather than the grace given to you in Jesus is we begin to compare with one another. Well, I'm not as good as this person. Well, I'm, my ministry's not as good as this. Or I should be doing that. Or I should be doing this, right? And we're robbed of the true joy and the love and the fruits that we just talked about, right? I, I think this, I'll, I'll, I'll save that just for time's sake. Um, but it's a comparison of fig leaves, right, isn't it? If, if, if the church begins to take on and adopt that type of ministry, how do you know it? That's because everybody looks around and applauds. Oh, you've got nice fig leaves, right? You've got nice fig leaves, nice hat, right? Nice things that cover your shame. There's not openness, there's not trying to outdo one another in honor and affirming where Christ is formed. But it's a comparison of coverings. Two very different ministries, two very different fruits. All right, so let me make a final application we'll be done. Okay, what else do we do with this? First, I think, this is the challenge to check and see that we're in the faith. Make our calling and election sure. Right, everybody's being discipled by somebody or something. Right? Who's actually discipling you? What type of gospel's being spoken into your life? Is it the true gospel or is it some other gospel? What ministry are you really involved in? Are you involved in, in one that fosters Christ being formed in you? Or one that has you looking out at other people? Going, I'm not as good as this person. I'm not as good as that person. At that, that comparison. Look at your fruits and they'll tell you where the root is planted. Second, watch over your souls and the souls of your family. This is constant throughout Scripture. And engage in the hard work of discipleship. All right? this is what Paul. This is what Paul desires. In Colossians 1.28. He says, "This is what we do. We desire to present every person complete in Jesus." And this is what he calls the church to. Right, that everything that we're engaged in has that focus and that bent. Right? I mean, whether you work in a factory, whether you work in a field, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, wh- whatever your vocation, right? using that as a means to speak the gospel into the lives of others. And then lastly, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Paul spoke that the power of God, speaking of his own ministry, we, we have the power of God in earthen vessels, the little clay fragile pots. So that the glory of, will go to God. And so he said, we don't despair. Because it's God who's doing this. He writes at the end of, of Galatians. He says, you know, I have confidence in the Lord. He doesn't say I have confidence in you that you'll figure this out. He says, I have confidence in the Lord. That you won't adopt any other view than the gospel I've presented to you. He says, I don't lose heart because God is sovereign. That he's going to use the gospel and he's going to turn you back to himself. So in our efforts in discipleship whether we go through dark days with people who are like I really don't know what's going on with this person we trust in the Lord's hand Lord I have confidence in you that you're gonna you're gonna do what needs to be done with this person so keep me faithful let me give them the gospel the only thing that will draw them to you so let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed Father God the Lord I thank you I thank you that Through Christ, you don't leave us to ourselves. You don't leave us alone in our old self, but you have a transformation in mind that we would be made like Jesus in character and heart, in who we are on the inside. This should humble all of us as we look out in the church and in the world we don't look at different people who come from different backgrounds or different have different jobs or or different ethnicities, different histories, different privileges, different sufferings and 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 compare and wish we were like someone else or think that we're better than someone else but <laughs> father we we see that in Christ we are all one in need of grace in anything commendable that we see is so because of Jesus. And so is Him that gets the glory. And any, any fracture, any, fa- any fault, see, is part of our sin nature that one day will be done away with when Christ returns. I love, Lord, that, that when Alan talked to the children about Jesus returning, we'll have, we'll have bodies, we'll have, we'll have the capacity to see Christ and see God in His full glory. Doesn't mean that there's something wrong with my skin or my bones or anything like that primarily. It's the broken image of God in my soul that can't bear the righteousness and the mercy of God to behold it. And yet, in Christ, as you form Jesus in us, and Jesus is the only. Person, the God-man who could stand in your full glory, that that's given to us through the gospel as you make us more like Jesus and we enter into heaven. We're made new. The primary part of that being made new is a new soul that's formed, fully formed, as Paul says, formed complete like Jesus. But we're not there yet. You're doing this work of formation in each of us until the day we die or until Christ returns. So Father, would you keep us faithful? Keep us faithful to be engaged and participate in your work of formation as you make us like Jesus. And may we also look outward and be faithful to call others to imitate Christ that they see in us. That we might display to the world what a life looks like when it's made new through the gospel. So Father, would you do all this and infinitely more than we can ask. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you.